You're listening to Season 2, Episode 23 of How She Creates. Today, I have professional costume designer Isabella on, who's going to take us behind the scenes with all of our favorite TV shows and theater productions and tell us what it really takes to design and create costumes for all of the different people involved. She's going to deal with topics like finding inspiration, translating it, dealing with criticism, copying versus being inspired, and so much more. There's a lot for you to learn in this episode, so I hope you enjoy. Welcome to How She Creates. I'm your creative fairy godmother, Lauren. I'm here to take you behind the scenes with all your favorite makers to learn how they create. We'll discuss what it means to live a creative lifestyle, the best resources and tools for making, where to find inspiration, and so much more. I hope these conversations encourage you to make more stuff and share it with the world so we can all see how you create. How She Creates is sponsored by Get Messy Art Journal. Get Messy is an art journal membership community that shares tutorials, inspirations, prompts, challenges, and more each week. Get Messy's goal is to help you nurture your creativity, become the artist you desire to be, and find your creative community. When you sign up for Get Messy's mailing list, you get access to three free classes, one on how to find your creative style, introduction to Art Journal 101, and Art Journal 102, Elevate Your Art Journaling. Get Messy has an amazing community of artists who are waiting to welcome and support you in your art journey. Learn more and sign up for Get Messy in their awesome newsletter at getmessyartjournal.com. Hi friends, welcome to a new episode of How She Creates. Again, I love this week's episode. I am going to introduce you to one of my real life friends again that I get to work with here at the university. Um, She she just has so much wisdom. This was such a fun conversation. I knew it was going to be a good conversation, but I don't think I realized um, how interested I was going to end up being. There were so many behind the scenes things and so many fun stories like about Tom Hanks that Isabella shared. Um, And I just think I had no idea of the depth that goes into costume design. And so I hope that you're really excited about this episode to learn more about a new craft that maybe you don't know as much about um, and find ways that you can apply it to your own life. Isabella is going to talk about that at the very end. Um, she shares some great resources and ideas for you for that. And, um, and she just has so much wisdom when it comes to creativity that we can apply to our lives and to every situation um, that we come in contact with. Um, whenever we are creating. So uh, I hope you're excited about this episode. As always, you can find the show notes at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. It's where you can find all the information. Um, Every week I send out a newsletter and that's also on my website or at lauren-likes.com slash newsletter. You can sign up for that and I share a creative story, some creative inspiration, a creative challenge for you. I share um, links and updates about the podcast every week so you don't miss an episode. I share other goodies, some free things I send out on there, all kinds of stuff so you can stay up to date. And so I'd love for you to sign up for that newsletter and get more information and learn more about the show and get even more involved. As always, use the How She Creates hashtag so we can see your work. But today, let me introduce our guest to you, Isabella, who is, like I said, a great friend of mine, and I'm really excited for you guys to meet her. 
Um, Isabella grew up in Brazil, and she has a very diverse and liberal educa education, developing a great interest for the arts all over the world, as you can see as she's living here in the UAE with us. Um, but she is currently an assistant professor of costume design at the American University of Sharjah. She has previously taught at Virginia Commonwealth University in the U.S., where she also earned an MFA in costume design, and she holds a bachelor's degree in fashion and textiles from the University of um, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and she has lots of great experience from New York and different places that she's worked and that she is going to tell you about in the episode. So I hope you enjoy. So sit back and listen. Thank you so much for being here, Isabella. I'm so excited for people to meet you. I love it when I get to introduce my real life friends to my online friends. Thank you for having me. Um, all right. So Isabella is our resident costume designer and design costume design professor. What classes do you teach here? Oh, uh, quite a few. Um, this semester, I'm teaching um, a costume design lab, which is basically um, when students get to help me um, bring my costume designs into life, literally. Um, last semester, I taught costume design. Um, I'm also teaching an introductory course to theater. So it's a more um, general um, overview of theater through history. Um, from all the way of its creation in ancient Greece to today, to modern theater, musicals and all that fun stuff. Um, what else? I've also taught um, makeup. Uh, theatrical makeup is actually one of my favorites and one of students' favorites courses. Um, it's funny because a lot of the time students come to that course thinking that it's going to be makeup techniques for like fashion shoots <laughs> and stuff and it, it turns out that it's very different and very different from what they expect because theatrical makeup is completely different it's kind of um an exaggeration of regular makeup and it's a lot more creative because we're doing things that um, are part of the imaginary world of storytelling right so whether it is um being able to translate a literal an animal into your face um, or one of the the exercises that we did this semester was um, doing an, an interpretation of a famous painting as makeup as a full face makeup um, and the results were really interesting so um, yeah those are the classes that I teach um, and I think next semester I'm teaching a new course that is about women in the performing arts so that's going to be uh, a little bit of a challenge as well, but I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. I immediately am already excited to see people creating artwork with people's faces as paintings. That is what I'm going to be looking for this week. That is <laughs> super exciting and super cool. Um, do you have any pictures of that? I do. Oh, can we share some? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That'll be, those will be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you want to see anything we're going to talk about today, they'll be in the show notes at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. Um, awesome. So Isabel, will you tell us your creative story, how you fell in love with creating and how you got into costume design and all of that good stuff? Well, those are, well, they're two separate stories, but I guess they converge um, today. Um, my creative story starts from when I was a little little girl um it's funny because my parents um are not artists at all they're scientists actually 
Um, but I have an uncle who is a painter. He's a painter, sculptor, very multidisciplinary artist. Um, and I grew up spending my summers at his house. And so when everyone would be asleep, he would be painting and drawing and I would be by his side, like watching him paint and watching him do his, his thing. And that's when I think the first, um, inspiration for me began because he would teach me about light and shadow and how to, um, illustrate and how to really, um, create this own imaginary, uh, world, right. Which I think everyone has, it's just a matter of figuring out a way to expressing it. So for me, I always tell my students that, um, I learned how to draw and I used drawing as a means of communication before I even knew how to write. Um, and then um, throughout my childhood, I would always be drawing in class, which annoyed my professors, my teachers, but they also understood, I think. Um, or uh, at home, there would be times where I would start drawing and I wouldn't stop for five hours straight. Um, and that continued as a way for not only of self-expression, but then I think it also kind of started guiding my choices in terms of um, career, especially when I got to high school. Um, I used to keep these journals at home. I have my parents still keep all my little journals of uh, drawing um, and they would mostly be portraits. So portraits of women that were either real women that I was, um, drawing, you know, as, um, as a kid. So it was my interpretation as a kid of, of a certain woman, either in my family or friends or whatever, or someone that I was creating in my head. Um, and then as a teenager, I think I started experimenting with designing. Um, up until that point, I, I had not done that. It was just drawing for the sake of drawing and expressing myself. Um, and the design came in when my friends started looking at my drawings and saying, oh, you're really talented. You should start your own line. And can I have that dress as like for me as a real dress? And I remember that the first time that I actually um, drew clothes for other people because I had been drawing for myself and I had a seamstress that would make my designs um, for me was for um, graduation in high school where um, two of my friends were like, can you draw a dress for us? And we all went to that seamstress and we all got our dresses done with her. So I drew it and we would, we all had like, it was my design. I didn't really know how to sew at that time. That would come much later, um, but it was still kind of my first take on designing. Um, and then in college, it just felt really natural to go into fashion fashion design or fashion merchandising or something related to fashion. I knew that I wanted to do anything uh, related to creativity. But the problem that I had at the time was that um, the colleges in Brazil for um, fashion design were all private. And um, I didn't, my parents being the academic people that they were, they kind of had expectations for me to go to top schools that were the public schools in Brazil. Um, and then I had kind of like a strike of luck where um, the year that I was applying to colleges, there was this new major that opened that was in uh, fashion and textiles. 
So it was a mix between the technical aspect of the textile industry and a little bit of the creative aspect of the fashion industry. So I did that. Um, And it just opened the world to me. It wasn't just um, fashion, but it was also anthropology and sociology and history, which I then realized that I absolutely love. Um, To me, there is no way for me to think about my creative side, and especially as a designer, without thinking about history, about what does it really represent? How, when I'm thinking about telling story through clothes, through the costumes, I'm always thinking in, in a way, kind of in a, in a sociological, historical um, way. <clears throat> so um, anyway, and then it was interesting because also I kind of also learned during college that I didn't really want to be a fashion designer um, I had a lot of criticism about the fashion industry and the fashion world, and which we know that can be pretty superficial. I think that that's kind of a given. I'm not, you know, creating any new concept by saying that. Um, it just didn't feel like it was for me because I couldn't. I think because I had a hard time connecting creativity in fashion with this more sociological aspect of it, which I think other people can do. Uh, very successfully, but I just couldn't find my place. Um, And around that same time, I applied for a study abroad in the U.S., which I got. And that's when I went to the U.S. to study um, initially fashion merchandising, which I studied primarily. But then I was introduced to um, the costume design program at the same university by means of an internship that I did at a textiles um, department within a museum. Um, and so lots of different, lots of different things. Um, but I started taking classes in the costume design program and that really kind of changed my entire life, the course of my life really, because by the end of the year of that study abroad, the person, the professor that had been my mentor up until that point um, recognize a talent that I had of this, of being able to, what I like to say, tell visual stories through clothes. And then she offered me the opportunity to go back to the U S, um, a year later and do my, my master's, the MFA in costume design. Um, and from then it was, that's kind of long story short, that's how I ended up here today. And, um, making a career, a creative career in costume design. So <laughs> very cool. Very cool. I love hearing people's creative stories and that's what everyone always says in the podcast. They, they love following that, that trail, um, and seeing where it leads and where you don't expect it to lead and kind of where you end up. Um, so can you share with us what your process is like for when you're designing? So you can use this, the current play or, or maybe your favorite play. Well, um, I think it's mostly the same. Um, I would say that it depends. Actually, I would say that it depends on the type of play that I'm working on. If it's a musical, it's slightly different than it if it's a straight play. Um, so I'll use the plays that I've worked on this year being um, here at AUS. Um, this semester we did Alice in Wonderland as a musical. So with a musical, the starting point for me is the music always. 
Um, so that becomes kind of a, a, a really important part of my creative process because as I am doing anything related to the creative process, I'm listening to the music in the background or it's dictating my choices. Um, and it is kind of an abstract concept because um, how do you really translate colors and textures and lines from musical sounds or from harmony or from you know rhythm? But to me, they are directly related, especially in a musical. Uh, for instance, um, if you're doing a musical that is really happy and kind of... Um, uh, the journey of a child, right, as Alice in Wonderland is, uh, the color palette is going to be completely different than if you were doing Sweeney Todd the musical. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not only that, but in terms of the rhythm, depending on the song um, and the rhythm of that particular song, you can also think about the types of patterns that you're going to use. Because if we think about patterns, patterns have rhythm in them. So those are all things that to the average viewer, they might not have a conscious idea or, uh, or knowledge of what they're seeing, but it does affect them in an unconscious level. And that's to me what's important as a designer. Um, that's what really helps me translate meanings into colors and shapes and textures and all of that. Um, Cause you know, some songs make us happy and some songs makes us sad. So how do you, how do you apply that also in certain colors, for instance, or certain shapes of clothes? Um, so for Alice in Wonderland, I think that that was definitely the beginning. Um, and from then on, the process is fairly similar for whether it is a musical or whether it's a, is a, a straight play. I start with the research. That's, that's the second point. Um, it's basically digging into the playwright, um, the person that actually wrote the story, understanding their time period, understanding even their personal journey and story. Um, so for instance, with Alice in Wonderland, I did a lot of research on Lewis Carroll and found some really interesting things that, again, might not necessarily affect or translate in a conscious level to the viewers or to the audience. But I feel like for me as a designer and for my own creative process, I do not know how to not do that. Um, uh, Lewis Carroll, for instance, you find that he was friends with um, the Liddell family, which is they had a daughter named Alice. Um, and then there are other little things like the cat in the show is called Dinah and the Liddell family had a cat called Dinah. So the Cheshire cat in Alice in Wonderland actually did exist. And then... Um, other little things that um, that you start learning that really kind of make you understand a little bit more about the the reasonings for the characters. So even though Alice in Wonderland might be perceived by most people as just a children's story or a children's play, um, there's so much more about it. It's about a rite of passage. It's about this child that um, is growing up and she is going from being a little girl who has no worries in the world um, to becoming, to hitting puberty and becoming a woman um, and everything that comes with that. So there are lots of moments in the play where this happens to, um, to Alice. Um, and even her uh, journey through Wonderland is that each character has a particular meaning and a particular reason for being there and for being in Alice's path. 
Um, so those are all things that I try to understand and that really kind of permeate my thought as I'm creating the costumes. Um, and then from the research, I also get the images, which is really important. So I just start collecting images over and over and over again. It just becomes kind of all that I do. Um, and the kind of images that I choose in terms of like um, the aesthetic of the images depends on what my director tells me what they want. So for early on, we have a conversation with the director about, okay, is this going to be um, a dark show, creepy, or the creature supposed to look like very eerie or is are we doing it steampunk or how are we what is the overall aesthetic of the show um, and from there that's how i select my images that's how i at least figure out what the overall concept is um, and i come up with i have an inspiration board that i really needed for this because from the inspiration board i get the textures i get the color palette that i'm going to use for the show and that is really important because it also has to relate to the color palette and the textures that the scenic designer is using as well, because the costumes cannot stand alone ever. Otherwise, it kind of uh, contradicts the collaborative aspect of theater and of a show, of a production. So um, from the images, then I start choosing specific things, um, whether it is a specific kind of collar that I want for the queen to have or um, the specific shape of the dress that I want Alice to have, even the colors, um, the inspiration for the rabbit, the waistcoat that the rabbit wears. Um, so the mood board or the concept board has all that information. Um, and then from there, I do the actual sketches for the show um, for each particular character. Um, and then I define, okay, so what are the things that I can buy ready-made? And then what are the things that I have to make from scratch because of the nature of the show, right? Um, and I think that I would say that that's the biggest difference with um, a straight play, and especially with a modern play, uh, like Romeo and Juliet, which was the play that we did last semester, was that even though Romeo and Juliet was a, technically it's a period piece, it's a historical play, we set it in modern day Sharjah. Um, so it was in terms of um, the process of getting the costumes, it was very straightforward. It was mostly modern contemporary clothing that I could just get at the mall. So the creativity behind that process was completely different than the creative creativity of the process for Alice. Mm -hmm. Because in Alice, I'm really creating things from scratch, kind of like I did when I was a kid and I was working on my journals. So I can, I have more freedom to create because I can draw something. And now that I have the knowledge of sewing, of pattern making, and actually knowing how to make three-dimensional clothing, I can, when I'm actually drawing the costumes, I can already think, okay, this is how I'm going to have to build this particular skirt or this particular corset or this particular shirt. Uh, with Romeo and Juliet, it was more a general idea. Okay, I want Romeo to have these pants and this shirt and this, maybe these colors. And then it was a matter of going out and finding them. Um, 
to fit within kind of like the overall realm of the concept of the play. So that's, I would say, the main difference in terms of creativity and the creative process for both. Wow. Okay, I'm going to go back through. You said so many great things. Um, So I love that you said that, you know, every single thing has meaning and a purpose um, and a reasoning behind it. So, I mean, I think when we're, I'll let you answer this too, do you feel like there's a big difference between costume design for theater versus movies or can we make a general general idea that they're the same? I think there is a big difference. The main difference is mostly um, the fact that theater is live and movies are not. Um, And you can never in theater, you can never repeat the same performance twice, right? Mm -hmm whatever happens on stage in that moment, it only lives in that moment. Um, even if it is captured in film, it, it's one, to me, it's one of the really beautiful and poetic sides of theater. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love it so much is that it's so ephemeral and everything that happens in theater has to be enjoyed in the moment. Um, and then it just kind of becomes a part of you in a way. Um, so when I'm in terms of the costumes, because it happens live and because you have a live audience that is there. And also because um, as an audience, there is a certain distance between actors and audience. The audience might not be able to see certain details on stage the way that cinema and television today can capture, Mm -hmm. especially with um, HDTV, um, the realism of television and film has really gone above and beyond. Um, And then there are other things too, like special effects. We can have a whole conversation about makeup and special effects and and how the FX world of makeup has been growing exponentially in the past few years. Um, I I have worked in television before um, and film. I do love it. I think it also, the the big difference with, I think television, well, both television and film is that the work, the creative work in television and film is not very continual. So there's no continuity or linearity in the way that there is in theater. In theater, when you start, you have a script, a play that has a very specific beginning and an end. Uh, And you start, you work your way through the play from beginning to end. In television, if you're working, for instance, in a show, um, I worked on um, Turn, Washington um, Spies, which was on AMC for, what, three or four seasons? Um, And when we started, we didn't know how many seasons it would be. Uh, We knew a general plot for the show. But we had no idea exactly what each character's journey would be, if the characters would die in the second season or, you know, we kind of did because it was a historical piece. So, for instance, we knew that Washington, you know, George Washington was not going to, you know, he was, you know, but the show also kind of had a predictability of ending because the end of it was the Revolutionary War in the U.S., Um but still, the, the creative producers and the writers of the show could have, they had the poetic license of writing the show however they wanted. And with that, um, they could choose to, to shoot 
um, episode 23, the first day of shooting, and not shoot the first episode until the last day of shooting. So the continuity in television, and that's also true for cinema, um, is very different. Even though you are given scripts, this, the, the, it's, it's kind of a more day-to-day type of dynamic, as opposed in theater where when you start the process with your creative team, you know how long you're working for, you have more of a, a schedule um, ahead of time. Um, with television, you know that you have to do these things and have these costumes for this episode. These are the things that are happening. And then let's say if you're, if you have shot episode 20 and then you're shooting episode 21 in two weeks, you also have to make sure that you, um, keep up the continuity in terms of the costumes. Right. Um, and that's where you find, um, little, uh, mistakes or blops in, mm-hmm. in terms of um, continuity is is definitely because they shot those scenes in separate days. Um, so I think that that's that's probably the main difference, and that does have an effect on the on the um, creative process. I would say um, I saw this firsthand with um, the um, we had two costume designers on turn. Uh, I think on the third season, it changed to a a different costume designer, Amy Adams, um, who was wonderful. Who is not the actor Amy Adams that we're thinking of. No. Okay. I wonder if I'm saying, yeah, I think it is Amy Adams. I can confirm her, her name. Um, But Amy's a sweetheart and um, she worked on multiple movies. She, I think the, the, last one that she did was Ithaca with Meg Ryan, which was also shot in Virginia. But, um, but I would see her process. She was never thinking, you know, in the future, she was always thinking, okay, what needs to be done for tomorrow? Or even the most that would be, would be next week. And that's about it. Um, and finding the fabrics here and finding the fabrics there. And, um, and it also requires a much larger team that is very, very aware of every single detail. The attention to detail in television and film is, you know, there's no comparison. Um, I think you can can get away with a lot more in theater um, than you do in uh, film. That is crazy. I've never thought of it that way, but it's like a painter, you know, just stopping halfway through a canvas and then some other painter having to come in and be like, you better get that right. Like it better look like it's the same person. And that's, we know that's impossible. So that's amazing that, that, you know, that is what is happening in um, TV shows. And, yeah. and I'm sure it happens in movies and things too. That's for sure. That's fascinating. I've never thought about it in that way. Um, okay. So that is a great thing. I guess like a good mindset for us to have as we're thinking about the difference in costume design for for theater and mm-hmm. for film um, because like you were saying, everything in theater and I'm sure in film also, but in theater, definitely every single thing has a purpose and it's important and it's for a reason. But as viewers, we're just sitting back and taking in the whole experience and, you know, in a, in a well put together show, everything should just happen and we shouldn't be able to pick out the little individual pieces of it. Um, but in the end, we remember those things and we associate 
that fabric that that character wore, you know, it sticks with us and reminds us of other things when we see a similar pattern somewhere else. And that is where, you know, as the viewer, we get this, this, um, like gift from the designers. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Um, (laughs) So where, so where do you find inspiration? Are you just looking just at Pinterest? Are you looking historically? Like what, where, where are you going oh, for this? so much Pinterest. <laughs> I would say it's really funny because when I started working as a designer, um, I can say in, working in grad school, that's when I discovered Pinterest. But I remember in the beginning, there was no Pinterest. Pinterest came about, I think, when I was halfway through grad school. Um, or even I, I often think back whenever I'm telling my students to do research and they complain that they can't find things on Google. Um, I, I'm immediately, I have a, like a throwback to when I was a kid and my mom would help me do research in encyclopedias, like physical encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that's a big part of me. I still have an incredible love and appreciation for books. So I do, I am a book hoarder. And I collect books a lot, um, especially in my field. Um, So I do go back to my books a lot, especially because I have them separated by period. And um, so I think that I do start first with Pinterest because it's just so easy. Um, It's such an incredible database. And I would every single show that I start working on, the first thing that I do is start a board for the show. Mm -hmm. That's always what I do. Um, and it's also very easy because if I'm working with a creative team, which I always am, I always have either students or assistants helping me. I share that board with them. And then when we have our first meeting about, okay, this is what um, the the concept and the aesthetic of the show is going to be like, it allows them to also add to the board and we can all talk about it. It's also really, really easy to bring that to the to a, a meeting with the director and in presenting, you know, the, the, the first meetings about presenting the, the overall design and what you're thinking about the costume design just makes it really easy to, to showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, for Alice, um, I did still do an actual physical board um, because I needed to have that image. I needed to be 100% absorbed into the imagery of the play because it is such a a visual um i mean theater is visual obviously but for this in particular i needed that inspiration to be around me all the time Mm -hmm. um so i i needed to have that board be the first thing that i saw when i entered my office which is what happens if you go in my mm-hmm. office today and you open the door, it's the first thing you see is the concept board for Alice, um, which I'll be happy to share. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll put a picture in there, but Pinterest is definitely one of them. Um, and then books, of course I go back because sometimes there are those like iconic images that you can find in books that you still cannot find in Pinterest. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Pinterest is really great for the overall, like the 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 background and the brush strokes and and all of that. And then um, in books, I find the more specific choices. Um, what else? But creativity, I think in general, um, I've learned over the years that I also find a lot of creativity um, in nature. <laughs> funny mm-hmm. enough, um, and also in my travels, a lot mm-hmm. of it. 
um, in different ways. And in, sometimes I also find creativity in like mundane things um, and in really unexpected ways. I think that one of the things that I've learned um, being a designer and being a creative person is to be open to creativity and inspiration coming when you least expect. Um, I've had these moments and also trusting the process and trusting um, that even when you don't expect to be in a place where it might inspire you or um, not necessarily inspiration, but sometimes you just need to find a solution for a problem, for a creative problem Mm -hmm. that happens a lot in design Um, and trusting that it will come. Um, There's this one... um, it's my favorite story about my journey as a, as especially it was this from the beginning of my career. It was the first show that I was designing for um, in grad school. It was the Elephant Man, and in the Elephant Man, there are these three characters called the Pinheads, which are um, the Elephant Man is, is set in the Victorian era when we had a lot of the freak show, um, the Carnies, and the Pinheads are some of these freak characters. They their heads are literally shaped kind of like a cone, if you will. Um, But anyway, they needed to be characters that looked alike, um, almost like they were triplets, um, but they couldn't be dressed exactly as identical twins because they they should look creepy and kind of give a weird vibe to the audience and make the audience kind of ponder and wonder, kind of like they would if they would go to a freak show Mm -hmm. in the Victorian era. Um, And I was having a really hard time coming up with these costumes that were very similar and yet not exactly the same. Um, And that also fit within the time period, but that didn't look exactly like a Victorian picture. Mm -hmm. So I was in New York looking, going over through this um, costume stock and I had been there for maybe six hours and I was already exhausted and I had already exhausted myself and their resources and everything. And I was running out of time. And then finally, I think I had 30 minutes left. And I asked um, one of the guys, you know, do you have any more rooms or do you have any more? I was looking for corsets, I think. And he said, yeah, did you check that other room in the back? Which no one had told me about in the six hours that I had been there. So I go to this little room and apparently these are old um, costumes from the Met Opera that had been like hand-me-downs and from old Broadway productions and all the way in the corner, all the way in the top, it was like all the, on the top of this ladder. Um, I finally like dig myself. I'm like covered in costumes. And I finally find this set of three corsets that are follow the same theme. They obviously fit in together and I take them down. I take a picture and I send them to my mentor. Um, and I was like, Tony, I finally found, I think I found it. I think I found it. These are, I think these are perfect. And of course, this is all text message. And her, he, she responds to me back. She goes, of course, they're perfect. I designed them for my first show on Broadway. <gasps> so, and it was like one of those moments of like intense meant to be. And, yeah. and I learned early on that, you know, it's it's one of those like coincidences and it's like just trust the process it will come mm-hmm. so i i i sometimes i i remember that for inspiration for just kind of like when i have major anxiety moments of like i can't fix this problem so 
Yeah. It'll be there. Um, okay. I have two really important questions mm-hmm. that I think our listeners all experience consistently um, and that you can speak to these really well. So first, what if you, what, what do you do? How have you handled the experience where you've worked so hard on this idea board, so hard on these costumes, you take it to the director and they're like, that's terrible. Or it just doesn't work. Or, you know, I just don't like this one little thing because some people struggle with that little bit of cri- um, critique versus, you know, and some people struggle with the whole, like the whole thing's terrible, which how, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I just have to say that go through grad school um, <laughs> and in like an MFA in, in costume design. And you, it's like a, a, a crash course on how to handle that. Um, I think that, the first lesson that I learned from my mentor was never marry your designs, mm-hmm. never marry your designs in theater in particular, uh, because of the process. And I think one of the things that I forgot to mention in the process is picking the fabrics. Duh. <laughs> That's super important. Um, and it's one of my favorite parts because a lot of the times I stay so much on paper, on paper, on paper, on the computer screen, looking at images, but when you really find the fabrics, that's when it really comes together, right? But the challenge with that is that sometimes, let's say you find the fabric, but you're not sure about it, and then you wait a couple of weeks to buy it. In a couple of weeks, the fabric might not be available anymore. Or you need six yards, and they only have three. So what do you do? You do a skirt that is slimmer. You know, you only do it with three yards. You can't. So you have to learn how to accommodate. You have to learn how to think on your toes and just let go. Just let go of, you know, if it, if it doesn't work, um, if it's, uh, I have a friend who is also like a, a creative mastermind. She always tells me if it's not a clear yes, then it's a no. And that's something that I always remind myself. So those two things, if it's not a clear yes, it's a no and never marry your designs. Um, because a lot of the times, one of the things that to me is really cathartic in my process is finding a solution to a big problem that is like, it just, it just comes and it's so easy, right? It doesn't always happen that way, but, um, but it also shouldn't be so draining. And should it, uh, the, if, you know, if, if that particular choice keeps bringing you problems or keeps, um, keep you from moving on and moving along with the process, then that's, that's probably because it should be set aside. And, another solution will come. There is the other thing too, is that I don't believe that there's always only one solution for a problem, especially in when we're talking about creativity, because creativity is about discovery. It's about innovation. It's about coming up with a a way of, of figuring something out. Right. But I don't think that there's only one path for discovery. Um, I think different people learn things in different ways and discover things in different ways, experience things in different ways. So I think that in the creative process, if something it seems too hard and it, it poses more of a challenge than it does of a, a, um, a pathway to discovery, then it's probably not the right path. Um, and so um, it's funny because with, again, with Alice in Wonderland, I completely 100% delegated the, the makeup design um, to two students, two very talented students. Because that's one thing, too, that I really enjoy about the process is being able to encourage students to find their own path as creative um, minds and as designers. Um, and they were very eager, very interested. And 
surely the one thing that the one challenge that they encountered was that they married the designs. They had this expectation mm -hmm. in their head. And I think that this happens a lot to us creative people. We envision something in our heads, right? And then we create that expectation. It's not necessarily of perfection, but we envision it a certain way. Mm -hmm. We're great at creating visions in our heads. Mm -hmm. But then the execution of it is a challenge. And then when the execution doesn't come out exactly the way that we wanted, that's when frustration comes in. Right. Um, and that's what happened to these students um, for a number of reasons. The designs that they were coming back to me with didn't quite work with what I had with the briefing that I had given them. Mm -hmm. So I repeated again. I said, no, this is not going to work. You have to do this a different way. Remember how we talked about this? But they were so married to the design that it took them three times of redesigning the makeup to finally understand. And it actually really took them going through the process of having to apply that makeup during quick changes backstage in a frantic situation for them to understand, oh, that's right. You did tell us about this. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of that process, we really only learn when we go through it. Mm -hmm. um, and that did happen to me um, many times as a young designer where I did want that one dress to be particularly that one fabric, but then I couldn't find the fabric. So I was forced to make those changes. And I think that the easier or the quicker that you learn to let go of this, of this expectation that we have, um, the easier the process becomes, the easier the adaptation becomes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely not marrying your designs and trying to find that clear yes. That, sure. that is fantastic advice. So my second question is, okay, so we've been talking about Alice in Wonderland. So we all know that Alice wears the blue um, like jumper dress with the white frills and the black Mary Janes, and she's blonde. So, I mean, that's what Alice is, right? I mean, that's what our perception is. We, you know, especially in theater, we have these very iconic characters. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with um, not copying, putting your own spin on it, still making it recognizable? Because that's one thing that creatives, especially young creatives, really struggle with is, you know, this kind of copying, stealing, borrowing, using the iconic thing issue how do you how do you address that how do you deal with that because that is not what our Alice for Alice in Wonderland looks like here yeah I think that um for me again it goes back to the research I have a big um uh <laughs> a lot of criticism about um I wouldn't say necessarily this generation I think it's the time that we're living in it's not a matter of the young people or the students, or I think it's everyone that is kind of in the, the creative world today. Um, we have so much information, the profusion of information and imagery is so much that, again, we forget that we can actually go back to primary research, to books, to actual pictures in museums. Um, and so that's what, what I always encourage my students to do. And that's what I use for my own research. Um, of course, not the entirety of the research, but I think that, for instance, with Alice, um, yes, the I think that the iconic imagery that we have for Alice in particular is the one that we're given from Disney. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because that's also cultural, mm -hmm. because here in the UAE, um, believe it or not, 
there are some people that have never seen Alice mm -hmm. and that haven't never seen either the book or the Disney movie or anything that, so their imaginary world and their expectations as an audience, their repertoire is not formed, right? Mm -hmm. But that is definitely something that as a costume designer, you have to predict. You have to predict that your audience will have an expectation about how certain characters are supposed to look. Um, but first and foremost, I would say that that expectation is regarding a time period or the circumstances of a play. Um, so with Alice, um, I did know, for instance, that I, I had to do the blue dress. I even contemplated doing it yellow because a lot of my research images that I found um, of the first artist that illustrated Alice, which I now forget his name, the dress was actually yellow. It was not blue. Mm. So it wasn't until the 40s or 50s when they did the Disney production of Alice in Wonderland that they did Alice um, in a blue dress. Also, Alice originally is not a blonde. She is a brunette. Mm. Alice Liddell had brown hair um, or maybe uh, ginger. I don't know if she was uh, redheaded or, or, but she was definitely not blonde. Um so to me, it was more, it's more about keeping up with the aesthetic of the time period that it's being done um, and then taking certain poetic licenses with it. So, um, and, and even within, let's say, let's use Alice as the example since we're, we've been using mm -hmm. it. Um, the dress that, that Disney designed for Alice is pretty plain. So there's so much that you can still do with it. You can still keep the shape and which is what I've done. I've mm -hmm. kept the shape of it. It's a blue dress. Um, and she's wearing an apron on top of it and she has the, the black Mary Janes and whatnot, but then you add different, um, characteristics to it or different materials. So the dress is no longer just a plain blue fabric. Um, her skirt is actually texturized. It's a, it's a textured flower where you can actually, you can almost touch the flowers. Mm. And to me in theater, that's one of the things, those are the little details that to me, I know that really connect with the audience. Again, they don't really know it, but I know that they are connecting to it in a certain way. Um, because I know that with clothes in general, with textiles, uh, with material, what we call material culture, which are the palpable things mm -hmm. um, in the arts. One of the main things and primary things that connect us to these things is the fact that you can touch them mm -hmm. and the fact that you want to touch them because it's all sensory. We, we, that, that's one of the reasons why you see something like a fabric that is fuzzy and you want to touch it because your brain already anticipates the softness of it and the comfort that comes from that touch. So that's the kind of feeling that I want to spark on the audience, even though they can't really touch it because they can't just walk on stage. Mm -hmm. Right. But they have the, the memory in their brains of what it feels like to touch something that is soft. So when they see the cat and the cat is wearing something fuzzy, it will either remind them of what it feels like to touch a cat Mm -hmm. the fur of a cat or something fuzzy in general. Right. Um, so I think that, um, that's, that's really important is, is understanding that, um, that, um, palpable part of it. 
I don't know if I went off track a little bit with, with my answer. No, that was perfect. <laughs> so, okay. So what can we do to kind of try our own hand at costume design? What's a way that we can incorporate some of these skills and things into our own lives to make our own fashion or our own designs more meaningful um, and more handmade? I think it's about, I think everyone does that to a certain extent, right? Um Whenever you think about heirlooms, family heirlooms, um, I'm the kind of person that I do that a lot in my in my uh, general aesthetic and what I wear. To me, I connect with something or my favorite items of clothing or jewelry are those that have a story behind them. Um, so, and and I'm I'm a, a big, I love thrift stores. I love vintage shopping. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that have a lot of hesitation about that because the idea of buying clothes that might have belonged to someone who is already dead or buying clothes from some, from someone else, period, um, gives them pause. Right. And I completely understand and respect, but for me, that's something that makes me want to have that item of clothing, but it can be as simple as a piece of clothing that has been in your family for decades that belonged to your grandmother or to your great, great grandmother, um, or a shirt that was your dad's. And I mean, one of my favorite shirts was my dad's. And then, um, I particularly love when I go back into pictures of our family and I find a picture of like my dad in his thirties wearing that shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me, it's like, oh, that's my job, right? That's what I do. I do research. I try to find connections. And, um, so I think that that's a way for people to, um, incorporate, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it costume design. I think it's more, um, costume studies or costume history because that's what it really is about. And there's no way that you can be a costume designer without costume history, mm-hmm. um, which is really is understanding the story behind it and the meanings that come with whether it is an earring or um, a dress, you know, um, another really good example that I like using is um, wedding dresses, which, and you don't have to necessarily wear the exact same wedding dress that your grandmother wore when she got married in the thirties, but you can use that dress and kind of do a new modern take on it or, um, you can use the lace on that dress to make something new for your own wedding. So I think that's 100% costume design. I love it. Yes. Yes. You're right. I mean, all, all the pieces of clothing that I can think of immediately that I love and they they have those stories and they are vintage or from someone or some place special, you know, about them all is traveling or, you know, they have that story. I love that. Or Um, something handmade. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you've made it yourself that you have taken time and thinking about choosing the materials, choosing the color, choosing the texture, touching it, and then having that anticipation of, oh, I'm going to make this into something. Mm -hmm. And then making that, not only making it into something, but also wearing it. Mm -hmm. That's 100% costume design for sure. Fantastic. Oh, so I really hope that people are excited to go try their hand at, at making clothes. So if someone wanted to try and make some clothes, what would you recommend as like a really good first beginner's resource? Because I would also like to try, and I know I'm very bad at it already. Well, <clears throat> sorry. I think the first thing is the good, a good beginning, which is how I started, is 
trying some of the the ready-made patterns that you can find, you know, Butterick McCall's that it's so easy to find um, in the U.S. Uh, just go to a fabric store and get one. And that really gets your, because you, you don't really have to worry about learning the, the process of actually making uh, three-dimensional clothing, pattern making and all of that. You do have to know, have a basic understanding of sewing and have a lot of patience to understand the instructions in the patterns because it can be very daunting at first, mm -hmm. but it does get easier because it is kind of like a puzzle um, that you have to solve or like a charade that you have to figure <laughs> out. Um, but once you do, it, it's, it's like learning a new language, if you will. But the cool thing about uh, starting with patterns is that it gives you the freedom to go and choose the fabric that you want to do that process of discovery of, of starting to understand how fabrics work and what goes with what and what feels a certain way and um, what works best with each type of uh, clothing, right? Mm -hmm. What works best for this particular type of skirt or this particular kind of shirt. Um, and then from then, if, uh, if that becomes too easy or, um, or if you are the kind of person that really enjoy geometry, really enjoy sculpting. Um, I would 100% encourage uh, both working on flat pattern making, taking a course. There are some online courses, but nothing really beats the, the, the hands-on mm -hmm. courses. And also draping, which are uh, two separate methods for pattern making. Um, and then it really opens up an entire world of possibilities in terms of um, cloth making because it really is whatever you, comes up in your head, you find a way to to make it and to turn it into a three dimensional piece of clothing. Awesome! Oh, I'm so excited. Um, if anyone wants to look at some online creative courses, I know that Creative Bug just came out with a new how to sew a skirt. And it's a really cute skirt. I think I'm going to try that one. And yeah. so it's a, there's a pattern and there's like a video tutorial. So I'm, I'll put a link to it in the show yes. notes and then we'll all compare and see how our skirts turn out. <laughs> sure. I will not win any contest. Um, no, but that's great. I think that YouTube is also YouTube and videos in general, video tutorials are an incredible resource that we have these days because mm -hmm. it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. So Isabella, what does living and creative lifestyle look like for you? Oh, um, I think a creative lifestyle is not just about using creativity at work. I think, which is one of the challenges that I'm trying to, um, uh, face right now. It's one of the ch challenges that I'm facing right now is because most of my creative, uh, process is, has been only at work. Um, so I've been trying to incorporate that more into my daily life with my own, um, creative process. Um, but I think a creative lifestyle is finding inspiration in colorful buildings and beautiful, beautifully shaped plants and, um, finding rhythm and repetition in leaves and trees and, um, and all of that and, and people. And, uh, I love street style and, cultures and traveling. So I think that creativity is definitely not just about work. Um, but I think that that's what a creative lifestyle is for me. 
and being able to incorporate, you know, the, the, um, the knowledge that I have, because we, I think when you, when you do work in arts or in design, you do have a different way of looking at the world. So we do, uh, not necessarily compartmentalize, but we do separate things. Like we do look at things in a different way. Um, and to me, it's also about finding meanings and finding connections. I find a lot of connections and, um, history and and aesthetic and all of that in my daily life so what is your number one resource for creativity or for inspiration what do you where do you go when you're feeling uninspired home oh home which is where uh home is brazil um i would say that and not necessarily the the inspiration doesn't have to necessarily be um literally the the visual inspiration right um i think inspiration for me is whenever i feel uninspired it's because i'm not connected with my roots mm. and i'm not connected with um, the very beginning of things so whenever i need that reboot of inspiration um i go back to the night spent with my uncle um learning how to paint and how to draw um, his amazing house and garden, which is enough inspiration. Um, and also my parents, because it's funny because um, a lot of my creative um, work, and especially in illustration, comes from, believe it or not, and my interest in nature comes from them because they both work with plants. Um and I think that they are very creative in the way that they work as scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, so home is very inspiring to me. Um, and because they're also um, very art savvy people, even though they are not artistic at all, they collect a lot of art. And um, so our home is, I would say, the, 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 is the core, is the core of, of inspiration for me. Oh, I love that so much. <sighs> oh. So last question. Um, so what's new with you? What What's going on? What are you working on now? What are you ready to start working on next? I, um, I'm ready to go back home and, <laughs> and reboot that inspiration for sure. Um, but I am working on um, actually going back to school. Um, I Like I said, I have a huge side of me that... Um, loves the historical and sociological part of costumes. So I think I've been focusing a lot of my career has been on the design side of costumes. Um, I'm ready to take it to the next step, which is focusing more on the, I wouldn't say academic because design is also academic, but the historical side of costumes. Um, I've worked in museums before and I absolutely love it, believe it or not. Um, which is another actually museums are a huge inspiration for me I totally missed that Um, oh so much inspiration Um, I love whenever I go to any new place that has a museum that's the first thing that I look for is finding a museum if they have a clothing collection that's a textile collection that's I just stay there and I immerse myself and I absorb myself in into it um but um, I'm ready to take it another step in terms of my knowledge and maybe even 
um, rerouting my career a little bit or expanding the career possibilities, um, perhaps in the future, just focusing more on research and um, finding a research topic that can both incorporate the creative part um, and the historical part um, in a more focused uh, way. So I think that's what I'm working on and doing drawing for, for me, the way that I used to do when I was a kid, just for the sake of it. Oh, so important. So important. And I just, I love that people who always have fresh creativity um, are just always looking at new projects and expanding and thinking about what's next and, you know, and continuing to like build on those blocks. And so I think we get stuck a lot when we, you know, just get stuck in one project and one thing. And so I love that encouragement. And I hope that encourages people who are feeling stuck to to keep going and to look at some new things and kind of change directions and then come back to whatever you're stuck on. Um, and now I would be remiss not to ask you this last question. You have to tell us about when you worked with Tom Hanks. <laughs> like that's the most important part of this whole conversation. <laughs> well, um, I mean, that was one of those situations where you never really think is going to happen and then it does and then now it's funny talking back to it it just feels like it was a dream almost um but that was I was in grad school and that happened I was um provided with the incredible opportunity to work on which was his debut show on Broadway it was called Lucky Guy um it was a straight play it wasn't um a musical but it was a play by Nora Ephron, um, who wrote a lot of the rom-coms like The Holiday, um, You Got Mail. Um, and there's a really nice and um, tender story behind that, which was Nora, who passed away from cancer a few years ago, um, has always been a really incredible writer and screenplay um, writer. And hence all the movies, the rom-coms that she's written. And she became really good friends with Tom Hanks uh, because of all the movies that they've worked together. I think she also might have written Sleepless in Seattle. Um, anyway, she had been writing Lucky Guy for a few years, but she died before she was able to finish it. And then um, Tom Hanks got together with a theater director called George Seawolf, who was an incredibly talented director. Um, and they finished the script uh, because they were close friends to uh, Nora and her family with her family's permission and everything. Um, and that was a process that in of its own took a few years. George um, was, has always been really good friends with my mentor, um, in grad school, Tony Leslie James. Um, and I was Tony's mentee at the time. And Tony was invited to design the costumes for lucky guy. And she bless Tony. She is incredible. She's a, a, a one of the people that I admire the most. Um, I've learned so much, pretty much everything that I've learned, I've learned from her. Um, but she, one of the things that is really inspiring about her is that she will always get her students involved in pretty much all of the shows that she's working on in a variety of ways, assisting with the costumes itself, uh, with illustration, with a lot of different things. Um, and so she invited me to come to New York and assist 
um, on Lucky Guy for a few weeks. And so that's what I did. And so for that, I was, it wasn't necessarily creative in this on, on, I did not design anything at all, but it was creative in the sense that I was getting to be a part of the process of an incredible process of go to the rehearsals and watch firsthand how directors interact with the actors. And Tom Hanks was really just one of the professional actors in the play. There are lots of other, Maura Tierney was in it. Um, and um, some other really awesome um, actors as well. And just to see them live, you know, in rehearsals and watch their process, it was incredible. It was an incredible um, opportunity. And then meeting Tom, Tom Hanks himself was pretty, like, again, surreal um, and funny. And he is that guy that we see in the movies. He's very down to earth and very chill and... Um, and a very kind person um, is not star starstruck at all. Uh, but it was just really funny just to, to be in a fitting with Tom Hanks and be like taking notes for the costumes that are being made for him. Um, it was really, really incredible. And have, you know, picture taken with him. The story behind that picture is really funny. Um, again, my mentor, Tony, has a really um, interesting sense of humor. And we were in the middle of a fitting and I had asked her before, you know, Tony, do you think that there might be a moment where, you know, you could ask him if I could take a picture with him? Um, she goes, yeah, sure, sure, sure. We'll find a, we'll find a moment. Um, and we were in the middle of a fitting and I was pinning the center back seam of his pants. So basically <laughs> his butt. Um, and she decided that that was the appropriate time to ask him. She was like, you know, Tom, Miss Isabella here would really like to take a picture with you. And <laughs> since she, you know, I figured that this would be the appropriate moment to ask because you really can't say no. Otherwise, she'll just pin your butt. You know? <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there, and he laughed and we just took a picture in the break room after that, you know. I so, love it. <laughs> it's surreal. It's surreal. Like how I could, if you know, if anyone had told me when I got into college, that that was going to be my, the path, that that's where I was going to land. I would have, I would have laughed and be like, right, whatever, you know, um, and many other, other wonderful situations. Um, yeah. So, but I just love that you followed the path. You were willing to take the job, you know, that you weren't getting to be creative in that sense, but you were still willing to learn and to assist and you, you, you gained so much and you've got these great opportunities. Um, and I think that sometimes we dismiss things because we think we're too good for them or, you know, it's not yeah. good, the right thing when really we should be willing to try for sure. I love sure. that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom. And this was such a great episode and there will be links to Isabella and to all of her work in the show notes. Thank you, Lauren, so much. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to How She Creates. I would love to see how you create. Share what you're making on Instagram using the hashtag HowSheCreates. If you love learning about creativity with me, please leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. Grab your art supplies and I'll meet you back here next week for another episode of How She Creates.